1910, Dr. James B. Herrick published a case report about a young black man named Walter Clement Noel. Noel, in his early 20s, was from the island of Grenada, now a dental student studying in Chicago. He was a patient of Herrick's from 1904 to 1907. According to Herrick, Noel presented pulmonary symptoms. His eyes would tinge yellow. He felt weak and dizzy and unmotivated to exercise. He also suffered from palpitations and shortness of breath. Upon examining his blood under a microscope, Herrick coined the term sickle-shaped to describe the thin, elongated crescent shape of Noel's red blood cells. He wasn't sure at the time whether the blood condition was a unique condition or a manifestation of another disease. It was sickle cell anemia and the first recorded finding of it. It's a really crippling pain. It feels like somebody's like hammering my joints. I can't even describe. It's just the worst pain I've ever experienced in my life. The best way to describe it, it feels like a knife is stabbing you in your joints constantly. I never heard anybody scream that high and just well out. And she would have it so bad where her eyes just roll back up. She's just in pain. Nobody else but us people that have pain knows how it feels. It feels like um, somebody's hitting you with a hammer. People speak of grinding bones, breaking bones, they, they, this sort of level. I have patients who had a broken wrist for a week and couldn't distinguish it from sickle pain or walked on a broken fibula for a month. This is the degree of pain they're in. I know the hip pains, the joint pains and everything else. I can barely move at times. It's very frustrating because no pain medication really works for me, so the pain is there. It's not something that you can ignore, but I have to ignore it just to get the day going. From Offscript Health, this is The Sickle, a three-part limited series for patients and caregivers made possible with support from Bluebird Bio and in partnership with the Sickle Cell Disease Foundation of America. In this series, we'll be hearing from experts and patients to gain a better understanding of one of the world's most unique blood disorders. Since its scientific discovery in 1910, sickle cell disease, which we'll be abbreviating to SCD, was studied by many doctors throughout the 1900s. Documentation of other cases of SCD followed rather slowly, but in 1915, another prominent case was reported by Dr. Victor Emil of Washington University Medical School. Emil's patient had three siblings, all three of which died from severe anemia. Furthermore, the demonstrated sickling of the patient's blood raised suspicion that SCD might be of genetic origin. Emil observed the sickle-shaped red blood cells over a period of several hours. He noted the transformation of a large number of normal disc-shaped red blood cells into sickle-shaped cells. Emil's work led to the invention of the first simple diagnostic test for the disease. Thanks to advancements in technology, sickle cell anemia became the first genetic disease to be examined at the molecular level. Specific differences between normal and sickle cell hemoglobins were later identified, which led to the discovery of the genetic mutation responsible in 1977. Africans had been in America for over 400 years, and there was no report of sickle cell disease anywhere in the medical literature in America up to that time. I think that is surprising. 
I can imagine that there were many slaves who, if they did not survive the severe forms of sickle cell disease, would survive the milder forms of it and who would have the frequent attacks of pain, swelling of the hands and feet in the children, uh, pneumonia, and other complications that we know very well uh, that sickle cell disease can develop. SCD has been present in Africa for thousands of years and has been known by many names in various languages across the continent. Traditionally, I would say that most people are aware of the disease in the form of the way the signs and symptoms present. And they give names such as Ahututu in tree. They have Infanti, they say in Wiriye. The Gans say Chetuetue. So every tribe has its specific name it gives. And it all tends to describe the signs of, uh, of the disease, especially the pain that they go through with the disease. For example, the Igbo people of Nigeria believe that everyone is Orbanji, meaning one who comes and goes. But malevolent Orbanji differs from others in being revenge-driven, chronically ill, and engaging in repeated cycles of birth, death, and reincarnation. Experts now believe that the cultural descriptions of malevolent Orbanji were descriptions of children who died early from sickle cell complications. Today, about 300,000 people around the world are born with SCD each year. Most of these cases occur in Nigeria, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and India. Experts predict an increase to about 400,000 by 2050. In the U.S., SCD affects approximately 100,000 Americans. So we know how SCD was discovered, but what is sickle cell disease? Let's ask an expert. I'm Dr. Lewis Sue. I'm a pediatric hematology doctor to take care of kids with sickle cell disease. I'm at University of Illinois at Chicago and also with the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America. So sickle cell disease is an inherited blood problem. The red blood cells in sickle cell disease don't flow correctly, and so they can get stuck. The lack of proper blood flow can lead to several symptoms. One of them is a really severe, extraordinarily severe pain that can come on unexpectedly, can be 10 on a scale of 10, more severe than a broken leg, more severe even than childbirth pain. There's also blood flow problems to different organs of the body that can lead to kidney problems, lung problems, liver, brain, retina, skin, bones, all having different parts of them getting damage from day to day. And then overall, it can lead to some problems with fatigue, with endurance for getting through an entire school day or an entire work shift or being able to walk or run a long distance. There are several types of sickle cell disease. What are they? So there's three common types of sickle cell disease. And because this is a genetic disease, the way these types are organized is really by what genes somebody has. Remember those Punnett squares from science class? Well, here's where they'll come in handy. So if somebody has one from each parent, then that person would be called SS because they got one sickle gene from mom, one sickle gene from dad. So that child has SS. And so the person would continue to have sickle cells made by their bone marrow because their DNA says S and S, and there's no normal hemoglobin A. The regular hemoglobin A would not sickle. There's other kinds of sickle cell disease where a person gets one S gene from one parent and a C gene from the other. 
that we call sickle cell disease SC. And that has somewhat less problems during childhood. Toward adulthood, it could be similar to SS. And then there's another common kind of sickle cell. And so for this one, the person gets S gene from one parent and beta thalassemia from another. And the combination of those two is called sickle beta thalassemia. And these could have different levels of more sickle cell problems or less sickle cell problems, depending on exactly what type of beta thal gene they got. So with all those, the person with sickle cell disease is one who does not have a, a regular hemoglobin gene A. And that would be the main problem is that in their red cells, there's no regular hemoglobin A. For somebody with sickle trait, what they've inherited is one sickle gene, S, but the other gene is the regular hemoglobin, A. And that combination, A and S, is called sickle trait, is not sickle cell disease. It won't turn into sickle cell disease. It doesn't go away either, but it doesn't turn into sickle cell disease. And so these will not have anything like the sickle cell disease problems that somebody with two genes like SS or SC or S-beta-thal has. The individual sickle trait, the main medical significance of that is that when they grow old enough to be reproducing, they would pass along their genes and would have a 50-50 chance of sending their sickle gene to their offspring, or they could send their hemoglobin A gene to their offspring. And so that way, the sickle gene could get passed along to the next generation. SCD is most common in people of African descent. One in 12 people carry the sickle cell gene, and one in 365 have SCD. People of Central and South American, Middle Eastern, Asian, Indian, and Mediterranean descent are also common carriers of the gene. So how did this genetic disorder come to be, and why is it most prevalent in African descendants? What's been found is that somebody with one gene for sickle, sickle trait, actually survives better in an area with malaria. And malaria is something where it's a, an infection that's carried by mosquitoes. Uh, mosquitoes do the best in warm, tropical-type places. Think of swamps, think of rice fields. And so the whole area of the world where there's a lot of mosquitoes is pretty much where there's a lot of malaria, too. Malaria is a very deadly condition still. Millions of people get malaria and hundreds of thousands of people die of malaria every year. And so if you can survive malaria better, then that's an advantage. And what it turns out is that people with sickle trait, having one gene for sickle, do survive malaria better, which means that they can continue to live and continue to uh, reproduce and they can pass along their gene for sickle so places that have a lot of malaria also have a lot of sickle trait. Now, there are other areas of the world with malaria also that have conditions other than sickle called thalassemia or other red blood cell problems, and these also help with survival in malaria conditions. Sickle cell disease serves as a well-recognized paradigm for understanding genetic diseases. However, treatments for people with SCD didn't appear until the 1990s. In the last 30 years, survival has improved dramatically for people with SCD. In the United States, the average life expectancy in the 1970s was less than 20 years of age. By the early 1990s, the cooperative study of sickle cell disease estimated a median life expectancy of those with sickle cell anemia, the most severe form of the disease, 
of 48 years of age. Today, many people with SCD are living past these age ranges. But what is causing such a young life expectancy? In sickle cell disease, there's several things that can make people have a shortened lifespan. One of the biggest ones is that the blood flow problems lead to the immune system not being as strong. Therefore, people with sickle cell disease have greater chances of dying from infections, especially bacterial infections. And it used to be that basically all the people with sickle cell disease died during childhood, usually before age five or age 12, because of infections that just overwhelmed their bodies. Now, we've been able to detect who has sickle cell disease and start on preventive treatments with antibiotics, give vaccinations that are a little bit extra compared to what other children get, and also really jump on signs of infection sooner so that there's virtually no deaths from infection these days in the United States for sickle cell compared to what there was before. And the survival to age 18 is the rule, that 99%, 98% survival to age 18. Treatment of complications from SCD often includes antibiotics, pain management, intravenous fluids, blood transfusion, and surgery all backed by psychosocial support. Like all patients with chronic disease, patients are best managed in a comprehensive multidisciplinary program of care. Stem cell or bone marrow transplants are currently the only cure for sickle cell disease, but these procedures require a matching donor and involve significant health risks. For that reason, these procedures are rarely performed. Scientists are still searching for a cure that is safer and more accessible. The main reason that I am in this area of taking care of kids with sickle cell disease is because of two things. One is that there's a lot known scientifically about sickle cell disease. It's very, very interesting in a scientific way. But the other part is that much of this scientific knowledge was not being brought to treatment. And so I would go around the corner from the science lab, and there's still patients suffering with this really severe pain of sickle cell disease or having organ problems from their sickle cell disease, and they weren't benefiting from the treatments that were being developed in the labs. So I've spent my career mostly, <laughs> 25, 30 years now, uh, trying to bring those treatments to actual use, and then now also trying to educate people that these treatments exist and what kinds of things you can do. And I'm really happy to say that it actually has progressed now from what was only in the lab before has now become things that we can prescribe, things that we can infuse, treatments, and even cures. And so the past few years for sickle cell disease has been this enormous, enormous amount of progress with attention paid to developing new medicines, with federal support, with uh, medication companies doing research and trying to bring on new treatments for sickle cell disease. Stupendously more attention than before. We're hoping that this will first decrease the suffering and second decrease the long-term problems of sickle cells so we can have better survival, better function, less people feeling like they're having a disability because of this chronic disease. When we return, we'll hear from Andre Harris, a sickle cell patient, advocate, and PhD student. 
Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You have to try and lead a normal life as much as possible. But then you have this chip on your shoulder, that sickle cell, that literally affects every single decision you make, every single thing. Like when you wake up, how you wake up, what you eat for breakfast, if you can go to work, if you can take care of your kid. Now that we know what sickle cell disease is, it's time to hear from someone who lives with SCD. My name is Andre Marcel Harris. I'm 32 years old, a native of Michigan, Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I currently reside in Houston, Texas. I am a first-year PhD student at the University of Houston's Graduate College of Social Work, and I'm happy to be here. The earliest memory Andre can recall of being aware that he has SCD was at the age of six years old. I just remember having to go and get a blood transfusion and really frustrated about why I'm getting stuck with needles and, you know, prodded and poked. And that was one of the first times I remember being really told why I'm, I have to endure this. And it was because of sickle cell. While there are many symptoms that come with SCD, the most common one is pain. Pain is what we call the hallmark of the disease. And so Pain is, is a symptom that I, I believe almost every sickle cell patient has um, experienced. So, of course, I've um, experienced my share of chronic pain that's um, excruciating. It's unexplainable. A lot of people always like to ask, how does it feel to have sickle cell? And honestly, we all try to describe it, but it's almost undescribable the type of pain that you, you go through when you are in a sickle cell crisis. SCD also affects the immune system. The spleen helps filter the blood of infections. Sickle cells may be destroyed by the spleen because of their shape and stiffness. Sickled cells get stuck in this filter and die. The sickled cells also damage the spleen. This increases the risk for infections. I've gotten sick with a lot of different things, uh, pneumonia and other things that have messed with my immune system in order to continue to receive treatments, a lot of sickle cell patients have to get what we call portacasts so that they can access your veins and give you fluids or provide you with blood transfusions or even be able to push meds and pain medications. Um, so I had those and I had one and they had got infected and had to get that removed and get another one and that got infected and then we decided I was very young, probably 10 or 11, that we don't want to risk me getting sick off of infections and trying to help me with sickle cell. And, and I, I bring that up to really show that a lot of times us that live with sickle cell, we get sick or we have complications from things that 
are not directly connected to our sickle cell, but because we have sickle cell, it, it really affects us um, at a greater level. So I've had that. I've had a stroke. I had a stroke when I was two. There's, I could be here all day to tell you about some of the symptoms and the issues that I've experienced with this disease. In 1972, Congress passed the National Sickle Cell Anemia Control Act. The first state newborn screening program for SCD was implemented in 1975. However, states did not widely adopt newborn screening for SCD until 1986, when results of a randomized trial demonstrated that oral penicillin significantly reduced SCD-related morbidity and mortality in children. Now, with a simple blood test, SCD is most often found at birth during routine newborn screening tests at the hospital. Treatment for SCD begins at birth and throughout a patient's life. Growing up, Andre's parents played a vital role in advocating for his care. My mother always made sure that her baby um, was taken care of. So anytime I was in the hospital and I needed something or she saw something wasn't right, my mom is not a nurse, not a doctor, um, has no you know formal training in medicine, but my mom had a knack of knowing things and I owe my life to my mother in ways that I could never explain because I remember there would be times where I would be in, a, in the hospital and doctors or nurses would miss something. I would say, Mom, this doesn't feel right. Or, you know, I may not even be able to communicate to her. There would be times I would be intubated or whatever have you, and I couldn't verbally communicate with her. But because of her being the mother that she was, she knew something wasn't right, and she would be able to be the voice for me as an advocate in that sense to make sure that I got what I needed. And many times they have called her a bother, bother the nurses, bother the doctors, but ended up her hunches or her intuitions or her curiosities were right. Things didn't look right or things didn't feel right. Um, and she called them out. My late father, he was very adamant that I was knowledgeable about my disease. Um, he was very adamant that I was participatory, not only in my health care, but in the community. So he supported me in attending conferences, workshops, seminars, support groups. Um, he made sure that anytime there was a sickle cell support group and I wanted to go to it, he, you know, took me um, and didn't drop me off. He stayed and participated. You know, um, he had me prepared so well that when I was like in uh, high school, and even in middle school, the people at our support groups and at my sickle cell clinic would call me the little professor because my dad, he taught me to carry a briefcase to my appointments with a three ring binder. Any piece of paperwork that the doctor gave you, you put it in this binder, you organize it in, in cage protectors and you, this is your information. You need to be the scholar of your health. And so anytime the doctor gave me anything that pertained to my health, I put it in that binder. I studied that information. I knew it ends and out. So I'm grateful for how my parents raised me as a child with sickle cell. And I couldn't have done it any better.
a lot of the most thorough care and support is given during childhood. But that care begins to wither as they grow into adults. Why? Historically speaking, sickle cell patients didn't live to adulthood. Um, so the expertise is not in adult care because they never lived that far in the first place, right? Pediatric hematologists are experts in taking care of sickle cell disease because they have the breadth of the knowledge um, and the experience because this disease was formally documented in the early 1900s. But of course, this disease goes back centuries, right? But um, since it was formally documented, quote unquote, discovered, it's only been a little over 100 years. And so we have a little over 100 years of experience in being great at pediatric care. But we have maybe, maybe 30 years of having experience of really being able to take care of adults well until adulthood. I'm of that generation of sickle cell patients. That is probably that first generation that really benefit from an extended forecasted lifespan because of all of the scientific and medical and pharmaceutical breakthroughs that we have. So that being said, they don't have the experience. And so it's almost like living and learning together how to take care of the patients. The shift from childhood to adulthood also often affects higher education and work life. Overall, I've had accommodating experiences, but I will say K through 12 education and higher education are two different things. And I think it also speaks to how even within medical care, pediatric care for sickle cell patients is like peaches and cream, everything is peachy cane. And then when you transition to adult care, it's almost like you're being fed to the wolves. And so in that regard, um, when I went to college, there were times where I would get sick, I would have to go to the hospital, um, and I would return to campus. And it basically would be, oh, well, let's try next semester. Um, maybe you could try again. Um, or, you know, I've had issues where it just was impossible to make up all the work that I miss or, you know, just things like that. And even if people tried to quote unquote, help me or work with me. It just wasn't enough. And I would have to either drop out or, or wait to the next semester or things like that. With me and other people with sickle cell and chronic diseases, uh, we've learned how to be resilient and have a tenacity that's very um, unique where we continue even when it seems like it doesn't make sense to. So in my experiences, um, it took me from beginning to end 12 years to receive my undergraduate degree. But I will say after that, I kept going. And so I recently received my master's last uh, year and I'm in a PhD program. So I kept going, but it took me 12 years to get a four-year degree. And so for a lot of people, that would have been overwhelming. And it was overwhelming for me, but I've just learned to continue with whatever I want until I reach that goal. No matter what happens, long as I reach that goal, it doesn't matter if it takes me 50 years to get the degree, I'm going to get it. Sickle cell medicine and research has vastly improved over the last 50 years. And thanks to it, we now have improved lifespans for SCD patients, 
and can look forward to potential cures for the disease. Andre has dedicated his life and career to advocating for those living with sickle cell disease. Although there is a lot of work left to do in the field, Andre remains optimistic. I learned very early that because I have a chronic disease, I have a genetic illness, I was born with it, right? Um, I learned at a very young age that, um, not to sound grim, but tomorrow is not promised, first of all, to anyone. Um, but living with the disease that is almost actively trying to kill you every day, you never know when your time is. And again, I'm not trying to sound morbid, but you learn to be tenacious. You learn to have that stick to itiveness, right? That not give up personality. Um, a lot of us who have chronic illnesses learn that. Um, and I don't want to quantify it to say that those who don't have it, there's something wrong with them. But I just want to say um, that a lot of us learn that and, and we learn to um, not take no for an answer. <laughs> and so for me, especially when it came to my education. Um, like I said, I am a first year PhD student. A lot of people would not believe that a sickle cell patient would be a, a PhD student or, or think that I wouldn't be able to do it. And then sometimes I think I do things to prove myself and others wrong and to say, hey, I can do this. Um, if it's a desire of my heart, who are you or who is anyone to tell me I can't do it, right? I would just leave with the listeners, the audience, is that if you may have a chronic disease, if you may have sickle cell, or maybe you're just listening and you don't have any of that at all, whatever is in your heart to do, whatever is in your mind to do, don't let anyone dissuade you from it, not even yourself, and continue to work toward that goal, that vision. No matter how many times it seems like defeat is in your way, even if you feel defeated, like even if you're in school and you failed that math class, I had to take biology three times before I graduated. But guess what? I have a degree, right? <laughs> I didn't stop. And so the whole uh, overarching theme is just to continue until you get to the desired outcome that you want. But don't ever self-select yourself out. Don't ever tell yourself that you can't do it. Apply to the job and let them tell you you can't do it. <laughs> you apply to the scholarship and let them tell you no, but don't ever underestimate yourself where you are hindering yourself from growth and opportunities that may be once in a lifetime. I'm Christopher Grant. Thank you for listening to the first episode of The Sickle. In the next episode, we'll be discussing sickle cell disease and how public perception impacts relationships, medical support, and advocacy. The Sickle is a production of Offscript Health. Our senior producer is Brianna Seeley. Our assistant producer is Joey Brenneman. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. All views expressed by our guests are their own. Check out our show notes for information about the clips and music in the series. For more information about this series, visit thesicklepodcast.com. That's thesicklepodcast.com. For more information about the Sickle Cell Disease Foundation of America and how you can take an active role as a sickle cell patient advocate, visit sickleceldisease.org. That's sickleceldisease.org. For additional information about Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. 
That's offscriptnot.com.